0: Welcome to the recruitment flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge.
1: And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Recruitment Flex. I'm Shelly Billinghurst, and joined with me is my lovely co-host, Mr. Serge Boudreaux. Serge, how are you doing?
0: What's new in your world, Shelly?
1: Well, Serge, it's a big day. It's a really big day it? today. It is. Okay. It's a really big day today. My middle child, Parker, is convocating university today. So his Ooh. grad is today. Parker put in um, an extra year so that he could graduate with a double major and a minor. So today's
0: the day. Are you a proud mama?
1: I'm a very proud mama, mostly okay. because not only did he work Every summer, putting himself through university, but he's applying for a master's program as well. So it's been uh, five years. When you start after high school, because he went right after high school, when you think about it, five years, it's almost like a mountain, impossible mountain to climb.
0: But- So what type of jobs will he get after this? Or I guess he's going back to school,
1: right? Do you know, even his dream job? Yes. He's going back to school and he's applied for master's programs in Germany because his minor was in German. So he's ideally, he would love to go to the university of Berlin, get his master's. His dream job is to work at the United nations. Okay. Or work at a Canadian consulate in Germany. So that is what he's always had as a picture in his mind. And it's never changed, even from the time he was um, finishing high school, was to be like either Canadian consulate or United Nations type of work, like political science. Yeah, it's a big day around here today. So speaking of big and climbing mountains... (laughs) You were wondering whether you're going with that. Tell me about your last weekend and your anniversary celebration.
0: It was fantastic. So it's the first time we actually have been to a restaurant outside of dining since the the pandemic started. So that was great. Restaurant food is just so much better after cooking (laughs) for a whole year. So
1: yeah,
0: that was great. Then we went on this fantastic hike, Lake Louise. It's around two hours and you end up to a tea house in a beautiful setting so great tea great food just sit out chill look at the waterfall look at all the mountains around you lake louise is just so gorgeous so for all our listeners outside of canada lake louise is the most beautiful place in the world so you have to travel to calgary alberta and then it's around the two hour drive from calgary you hit banff before then Lake louise we had a fantastic weekend celebrating 10 years and actually we were thinking about it since our twins have been born almost 26 months ago we haven't been away from them for one night. You know how crazy it is with twins or any kid. And then the pandemic hit. So we've been here. We haven't traveled. So that was great, too. Well, I, I missed them dearly, along with our oldest one, Mallory. But it was great to take that break.
1: Yeah. The first time away is really a big event. And I'm sure the kids, I wonder if they even noticed you were gone. Because I hear grandma and grandpa were looking after them.
0: Yeah, no, and they spent a lot of time with grandma and granddad since yeah. they got vaccinated. So I don't think they noticed as well. I think they were happy to see us, but
1: yeah. We're going to discuss whether marketing or talent acquisition should own employer brand. There's going to be some unexpected discussion around that one. Another thing we're going to talk about is as recruiters, give us a glass of wine and we can tell you stories about how candidates have shown up and some of the crazy things people do. But we are going to reference a survey that gave the top deal breakers or things that were really big turnoffs. So we're going to share with you some funny stories about some of the crazy antics and things that we've had happen in interviews. And then lastly, we're going to talk about a news article, and I think it's been circulated in a number of circles. So if you haven't already heard or read this article, we're going to talk about the whole idea that employers aren't going to. Wait for a four-year degree, and do you really need a four-year degree? Imagine us choosing this topic today of all days. (laughs) I (laughs) was going to say, how (laughs)
0: ironic is that?
1: I know. And and there's Parker just did five years, and now he's going to go do another year. So we're going to talk a little bit about what is the trend happening here across Canada. This is very Canadian specific. From the top, though, Serge, can you give us kind of the highlight and what's your take on whether marketing should own employer brand? or should it be talent acquisition?
0: Yeah, so this article is from ere.net. And one of the things they mention is we've been talking to recruiters saying they need to think like marketers. Are we asking the right question? Are we trying to force something that's really unnatural? The argument they go through in this article, and I thought it was interesting, because they, they don't come with a determining factor. Yes, it should be in employee, it should be in marketing or it should be in talent acquisition, but they make a strong argument that it makes a lot more sense for it to be in marketing because in reality we have not done a great job in talent acquisition to really understand the marketing aspect of it. It's really n- not our skill set at all. So a couple key points mm-hmm. where marketing shines is in brand and customer experience. There's elements of it. So customer experience, candid experience, they do correlate in some ways, and there's data behind that. Brand, when we talk about employment brand, do we even understand as talent acquisition professionals what brand means? Um, sure, we talk about employment brand, but do we really know what it means compared to someone that's studied it, does it on a day-to-day basis? There's a good argument around that. We probably are not as good as marketing is understanding outcomes from our marketing efforts. Do so we understand what the metrics we should be measuring when it comes to marketing itself, when it comes to employment brands? So I think there's elements there that they know that we don't know really well. Mm-hmm. I think the key point in this article, and I've been talking about this for a long time, is marketing owns a budget. As we know, our <laughs> budgets in HR and talent acquisition, like they really don't exist. We have to beg for a $20,000 applicant tracking system that basically controls our whole recruitment process. And it's $20,000. And then sometimes we need to build really strong business case to be able to get it. So having the budget makes a big difference. So what's your overall thoughts on reading that article, Shelly?
1: Yeah, you know what? So when I am, I know this is going to be really unpopular because i think for so long because we need it as a tool in talent acquisition to have a strong employer brand because if you've ever tried to recruit for a company that nobody's ever heard of or if oh. you've ever tried to recruit on a blind job ad where we can't where you can't identify the company for whatever reason that is the hardest uphill battle unless you have very deep long-term relationships with this particular job family or candidate group, right? Like it's near impossible. I completely agree that marketing and especially people in marketing who specialize in brand, uh, brand is such a valuable thing. It's your company's reputation and you can't really extract or take out of brand, your employer brand. They really are, they're intertwined Although I know we've been talking here since we started the podcast about employer brand and what is it, does there come a time to say, stop, let's stop trying to bang our head against a wall and okay. Talent acquisition. They never have time. They never have budget. We still need the tools. We still need marketing support. How can we ensure that we get what we need and we educate our counterparts in marketing about the things that are distinct and unique to employer brand that we need from them. Yeah.
0: Qu- question Jessica. on that, Shelley. Yeah, yeah. So if you look at the domain expertise, is it harder for to teach mm. brand to a recruiter or is it harder to teach recruitment to a brand person? I've done both.
1: I can tell you in my professional career, I have met, and I can count them on one hand, five people that work in the traditional marketing space. That is consumer marketing, business to consumer, business to business. I've met five of them that said to me, oh, I get it. Like I I understand now the rest of them never really grasp that. Because good marketers have done that deep look at what motivates people to buy our products or to use our products. And they understand consumer behavior or business behavior. And they have all of that. Now, they're saying, okay, where do we get that same amount of data to make decisions about how to properly position us as an employer brand? And they scratch their heads or like the five people I've met in my whole career, and I've met hundreds of marketing people, only five of them went, well, of course, my experience has been that marketing people just cannot get their head around it. Yeah. They just can't because they have to retrain themselves on where's the data to support decisions being made around. We want to position ourselves as a diverse employer. Oh my God, their heads are going to explode.
0: You know, but like how? I, on the flip side, how many recruiters have you ever met that really understand brand or understand marketing?
1: Yeah, very good point. Very few.
0: Yeah, very it, few, if
1: none. I, I honestly, other than those that have moved into a strategic role that are no longer in the transactional part of recruitment, that you have now moved into leadership or a, a strategic position where your responsibility is to be looking three years to five years down the road about what talent the organization needs. Once you move into that sphere and you're no longer constantly being pulled underwater with, we've got 55 open job wrecks and three recruiters, like seriously, how are we going to do this? But then it's all hands on deck. So until you move out of the day to day, I've not met anybody who in recruitment. And so audience, put your hand up. Tell us, have you met anyone?
0: It seems to me there's a couple of challenges with marketing, owning employment brand. First of all, to your point, they don't have a deep understanding of it initially, So there needs to be deep domain expertise, education on what is the recruitment process, how are we attracting people, what type of brand do we want. If you have a strong candidate experience, you're going to have a very strong customer experience. Can we get these people to understand the whole recruitment lifecycle, what we're trying to do? Because in traditional marketing is... If you're selling widgets, well, you want to sell as many widgets as possible. When it comes to recruitment marketing, you want to have a very targeted approach of people you sell Excellent with the two so you get the right mm-hmm. candidates. The they- second thing, my biggest concern, Shelly, biggest concern is getting the time from marketing. Because I, as a talent acquisition leader, if I can leverage marketing, I want to leverage marketing because they have expertise, knowledge, even though I consider myself in the recruitment marketing space that I know some things, there's things that I don't know that marketing. And so if I can leverage them, I 100% want to leverage what they can do. I can't always get their time. And I think a lot of recruiters Mm -hmm. listening to this are probably exactly in the same position. Basically, marketing is really tied to sales. Sales wants leads. They're screaming if they're not getting the leads. Obviously, sales is going to get more attention from the CEO, the CEO. Uh, then recruitment. So the priority is going to be based on how much sales are we driving? So we never really get access to marketing in most organizations. Obviously, if you're talking a, a large Fortune 500, they probably have all the resources that is needed and you can build a case to have a dedicated marketing and brand person on your team. But that's very rare. So in reality, I would say employment brand should be in marketing. Is it realistic? Is it actually going to happen? I would say 90% of the time it's not. So Mm -hmm. as talent acquisition, we need to figure out a way to get the skill set, the understanding, so we can execute it on our own. You can't just avoid not doing anything because... You have an employment brand, either you like it or not, or you do something about it, or you don't do anything about it. People internally or externally are judging how it is to work at your company, and that is employment brand.
1: It is. And you're right. You do have a choice to do nothing. And then the market will decide.
0: The market will decide. The market will decide either way, right? Like the market is going to decide is what are you trying to do to communicate what you think it should be? Mm -hmm. And, And that kind of drives the narrative in a lot of cases. So question for you, well, should employment brand be in marketing and recruitment? What is your call on that? So I am, I know it's not...
1: I'm stumbling around because I'm so torn, like until I believe that if it's not working and you as a recruitment group or a talent acquisition group, you've honestly taken a good shot at it, then let marketing own it and make it part of your responsibility to ensure that you are educating the marketing team on the tools that you need because sales can sell. But if you don't have the people to deliver the product that sales sold, then it's just this vicious circle. And so I would encourage talent acquisition leaders to, to make the effort to build a relationship with your marketing team. If you've honestly taken a run at it and you're not getting anywhere, stop. Like it's the old saying of if you continue to do the same thing. You're not going to get a different result. So if your organization just won't give you the reins to, to employ your brand, then just go with it and let marketing run it, but keep your hands in it.
0: That's Yes. It. The one key point, even if we don't own employment brand as per se we still own the biggest factor when it comes to employment brand. And that is that candidate experience. Mm -hmm. Are we responding to them? Are we giving them all the information? Are we communicating? Are we rejecting Mm -hmm. them properly? Because in reality, we have a very unique situation in recruitment when it comes to employment brand. Because in reality, our employment brand is how we say no. Talent acquisition is a department of no in in the company I work for right now we hire 100 150 people a year we reject 20 30 40,000 people so how you reject how you deal with that is a big part of employment brand and how people are going to experience even if marketing has the glamorous job of The collaterals, the message, we still own the biggest importance of it, in my opinion. Let's move to the next topic. So same survey that we talked about last week from Jobvite. So it's the 2020 Recruiter Nation survey. We did say we were going to bring a lot of topics on it. And I'm going to put in the show notes because you should go to the survey. It's really interesting. So on page 18, they talk about candidate evaluation. So what are the candidate deal breakers? There's some interesting points on it, but let me just go through a couple of the top behaviors that disqualify candidates. Okay. 62% will say that rudeness to the receptionist or support staff is an automatic turnoff. The interesting aspect of this in same survey in 2017, 86%. That was a major concern. So how did it go from 87 to 62% human decency and how you treat people at every level to me shows the ethics, the morals of that candidate. So to me, that's like a hundred percent, a deal breaker. If you're an ass to everyone, you're going to be an ass in general to work with. So surprised by that, like 87 to 62, is that just like a, a data error? I don't think it's an error. I believe the whole
1: role of a receptionist has evolved from 2017 to 2021. A lot of organizations, you don't even have reception anymore. You sign in on an iPad at the front and it alerts the person that you're there and you basically sit down and re- you're not interacting with someone. so I wonder well, the other honestly. factor
0: too is yeah. like yeah. when we talk about receptionist is the word but they talk about support staff they also talk about and obviously 2020 you're not bringing candidates to lunch but there's always the executive test of they bring someone to lunch and see how they treat the waitress or and actually it's funny yeah. there's a story about the CEO that would bring people to a restaurant and advise the waiting staff to purposely screw up their order to see how they react to it Um, really oh yeah and so how rude they were and how it is and he says the majority pass with flying colors they're very cordial but there is a small percentage that will sometimes be very rude to them and to me, that would be a deal breaker. How you treat people to me is it tells me everything I need to know about you. So you're probably right. Receptionist is a little bit different a lot, but I think that was the case in 2017. There's not yeah. many organizations I go to that have a receptionist, but there is support staff, there's people there. So I'll, I'll just go through the three other ones okay. that were called out. So 48%, I will say disqualified candidates if they're checking one's phone. Interesting because everyone's frigging addicted to their phone, but you should not be checking your phone during an interview in any case. Showing up late, that's that to me is a really interesting one because I can't be late for anything. It's like major anxiety if I'm a minute late. Mm -hmm. So I as a hiring manager, someone shows up late. I got to say, it's in the back of my mind the whole time as I'm evaluating that candidate, right or wrong, it creates maybe an unconscious or or conscious bias for me that, is this person going to be late for everything? Then the other one is poor hygiene, 46%, say, that disqualifies a candidate. I think that is probably way, way higher Can someone comes in and is really, I don't know, maybe they have bad breath. It's got to be a turnoff, right? What do you think of those four?
1: (laughs) Keep in mind, right? This survey was done in 2020 and we all know what was happening in 2020. And what's interesting, checking somebody like me, checking my phone while I'm in an interview, 48% versus five years ago, 71% of recruiters said that would be like a, Yeah, absolute disqualifier or one of the things that you would use to disqualify someone. So it actually appears that we're relaxing that because, like you say, everyone's got this addiction to their phone. So that's what I thought was so interesting, whereas showing up late and poor hygiene wasn't a big change from 2017 to present, right? So it's becoming, shall we say, more acceptable to be checking your phone. I can't imagine that you cannot put it down for one hour while you meet someone or have an interview. I just uh, still to this day, I know recruiters in general are being more forgiving about it.
0: Yeah, I think they are. So one of the things that I was reading through what uh, recruiters are looking for when they're evaluating candidates, and I found some of the data fascinating because I live it almost on a daily basis and I'm going against the norm on several of the things they pointed out. And the one that was interesting was cover letters. So are recruiters looking at cover letters as a way to evaluate candidates? In 2017, it was 8% saw as important. In 2020, it's 27%. And I'm like, okay, I'm missing something here Mm -hmm. because- 99% 99% of cover letters are copy and paste of the other cover letter they send to someone. It doesn't tell me anything. It just tells me I'm interested in the job. Here are the skills that I think I got to be qualified for the job. I can figure that out from your resume. You don't need to highlight it. If you send me a cover letter, I'm not reading it unless it's a copywriter job, it's a legal assistant or something that mm-hmm. I can judge based on your attention to detail if you send me a portfolio and proving me that work that you're saying you've done and you have, you can showcase it. Then you've got my attention cover letters. I'm like, you're wasting my time. So I know you feel different about cover letters. I'm shocked that it's gone up, not down. I think 8% is realistic because we've got a lot of old school people that love cover letters. If you've been in HR, you need cover letters. I heard a story the other day from an HR person that they weren't getting enough candidates, and their director asked them, "Is we're getting applicants? Like, why if they don't have a cover letter, we're rejecting them? This is for IT support <laughs> desk role,
1: so oh he was rejecting okay, so, the
0: candidates uh-huh. because they didn't have a cover letter for an IT yeah. support role. Isn't that an issue? Okay. So, give me your so, thoughts.
1: So here's where I love what you said: is keep it in context. What is the job? If good written communication is essential for the role, then a cover letter can be in a sea of sameness. A cover letter can be what differentiates you between the other hundreds of people that may have applied. Now, I was blown away by this number as well, because in 2017, it, it was only 8%. And then the jump, I think, was the most significant thing that we saw in this whole section on candidate evaluation. So here's what I would speculate is the reason why, as you know, indeed, ZipRecruiter, they all offer the ability to upload your resume or use their kind of resume format. So what it does is it ensures that everyone has the same format, education, work experience, years, where you worked, like all of those things. But from the recruiter side of the screen, if you're having to review resumes from even say 30 people, the font is the same. The format is the same. They're all the same. So a cover letter, I think what candidates have maybe figured out is what's going to um, separate them in a sea of hundreds of people where everybody's resume looks the same. Speculation on my part.
0: Yeah, I, I, I don't know if the behavior of the candidate is changed or this is what this is stating is the behavior of the recruiters have changed. So are we training recruiters differently? Are we asking different things? I think the perception has changed because the other one, and there's two items that were major shifts. So that one was one, Mm -hmm. this one, I was not surprised. So when they looked at candidates, when it came to education, and I think this will be a great segue to our our next topic in 2017, they took online education or certificates seriously in 2020 is 27 percent. Mm-hmm. that number is going to keep going up because the the education system that we have today in this generation is not sustainable and will not be the case forever it's a complete waste of time no offense to parker uh but i'm talking about the US <laughs> and the money you're, we just spent to put them well, exactly university. you're going to the university oh, for four to six years you're coming out in debt for $300,000, generally in the US, that's the average that I could read, two to 300. And you're getting paid 25 grand, 30 grand coming out of university. And before the time that you're actually making money, you're like 20 years in your career. And you spent five years and you're still not paid your debt what other industry that there is such non return on investment Mm -hmm. and it's so diluted because all the information that you're getting at university is in on the internet there's not information that you cannot get but then you'll have the argument just a life experience i'm like go to fucking europe for six months you'll gain a lot more life experience than you will in a class getting drunk every weekend what life experience are you gaining from university so i am very biased in that sense Uh, i have three daughters and if they (laughs) want to go to university they can do whatever they want if they want to be in the trade great be in a trade but do you need to spend that money to be successful so i'm saying in this particular case and we'll segue I am glad that recruiters are looking at this. How are you keeping your skills up to date? And those are online education, certificate, Google has different ones. So what was your overall thought? Then get me to the next subject.
1: Okay, you're right. Beautiful segue here, Serge, because the hottest discussion this week was the article that was bye-bye for your degree and Canadian companies want and need workers faster. So there was lots of really good discussion right across Canada on this. So to tie the Jobvite uh, Recruiter Nation survey to this, the fact that we're recognizing what we saw as a trend in employee education is micro learning. That is, you can take an online class or course, you can do it in 30 hours or 60 hours, and you can do it online. And you get the knowledge that you need today that you can apply to your job. So this article ties it even further because here in our part of Canada, we have a very heavily educated population, primarily in engineering. That's engineering, education, and the percentage of population that have engineering degrees. The problem is that one industry is shrinking and another one is growing. And so the the article talked about these kind of fast track programs where, you know, maybe you were a mechanical engineer. And when you went into school, maybe in say 2017 or 2018, the market was pretty healthy, right? So then you finish your mechanical engineering degree, and you can't find a job anywhere. Who's going to hire you when nobody's hiring in in the oil and gas sector? This article talks about these fast track programs where you can go and in say six months, get the basic things that you need to move into where companies are needing those skills and hiring right now, which is application development and So they quote that in the greater Toronto area alone, 70,000 vacant technology positions. Okay. So taking a four-year degree, no, it's just where will the market be? Like the market will solve this. So if we don't come to the table and say, um, here's what we can do is, is fast track these people and get them back to work. It may not be what they originally thought when they started four years ago or five years ago when they went into school, but now the market has changed. So-
0: yeah, this is going to continue to change because the economy has really changed into a skill-based economy that changes very rapidly. There's never been a faster pace of change than we've seen, and that's going to keep growing. There's going to be a faster pace in five years, 10 years. So the skills that are needed four-year degree, a lot of it is going to become obsolete. Obviously, when I talk about education, I, I do want to give you a caveat. There is certain jobs that you do need that degree to be able to execute the job. I do not want a surgeon operating on me without going to university for 12 okay. years or whatever it yeah, is. Of course. I'm just saying there's certain elements in the knowledge economy that you do not need to go to university to be successful in it. And like you said, web development, software development. Yeah, definitely can help, but you don't mm-hmm. need to, you can learn a lot of these skills and you can move a lot quicker. And we're seeing that. I think, education is going to get blown up in in so many ways because when you look at a player like Google giving out its own certification program that has a lot on the IT side like UX designer those types of roles which are in high demand they're doing it for free comes with a Google certification that you're qualified to me That means a lot more than the degree that you got 15 years ago.
1: Yeah. So let's be honest, Serge, going to university is privilege. It's as simple as that. It puts you at an advantage, full stop. The whole business of post-secondary and university is meant to do just that. It is a way to ensure that we continue on with what society has always done. And only those in a place of privilege can afford to go to university. Now, I'm not saying, because that certainly wasn't the case for me. Like, I had to pay my own way. I certainly, okay. but it was important that, and and quite honestly, like, if your girls, they don't want to go to university, they won't, right? It, if you want to go. But at the end of the day, the truth of the matter is it's prestige and it's privilege.
0: Yeah. We screwed ourselves, right? Like we've screwed ourselves. We don't have enough people in trades because we've been saying go university and trades has been a dirty thing. We don't have enough trades. We don't have enough machinists. We don't have enough people that actually can build things. And that's our own mm-hmm. fault. That's our parents' faults. Our faults is parents saying you need to go to university. You need to go. I know people that are machinists, welders, They're making $250,000, $300,000 a year being a machinist. And I'm not exaggerating. Isn't that a great career, Pat? You go to work Mm -hmm. nine to four, you close the door and you're done. There's nothing coming at you compared to the knowledge economy. We're basically working in our- Bombarded
1: 24 hours a day. 24
0: hours, seven. So when I look at it, I'm like, ah, I should have done trades. There's definitely the money's there. You're passionate. You become a master at something. Isn't that cool too? So- Anyways, I think the education sector is going to be disrupted. It needs to be disrupted. I'm glad Google is doing something. I'm glad we have all these learning hubs. I see it here in Calgary. There's all these different types of organizations that are reskilling these workers for the skills that we need. But we're just too late. We're a little bit too late because the... The demand for, say, software developers or technology, you said in Toronto, we're seeing that in every major market across the world, not only in Canada.
1: Yeah, I think the market will respond. And so that's why this article just blew up across Canada was if you weren't already plugged into these um, programs, then this was like the announcement. Like, start looking for these boot camp style training where, you know, for 40 grand in six months, you've got a skill that, yes, you're still going back to entry level wages, but you will quickly accelerate. Cause we know, like, even after five years, what are you earning if you're really good at it? I'm not saying that you're just naturally going to be great at doing this, but if you really like the machinist who loves what they do, no different than the UX designer who loves what they do and they're really good at it. So there is certainly demand though, there is employment available. So love, love that topic, Serge. I'm so glad we had a chance to talk about it with our audience. Tell me, what do you got going on? It seems like you're, you've got a lot of things coming up here. What are you working on, Serge? Serge?
0: tons of going on actually after today when we air this on Friday I would have spoken at the women in technology group here in Alberta which is going to be a lots of fun was just on HR shop talk podcast we launched this week you can probably find the links on my LinkedIn profile it was a fun conversation with Andrea then I'm going to be on HR chat with our friend Bill Benham talking about competencies when it comes to hiring it goes a lot what we're talking about skill base this Mm -hmm. is so i'm everywhere shelly where are (laughs) you what are you up to
1: okay i'm not quite it seems like we're gonna have to figure out a way for you to stop talking here Boy, you're everywhere, man. Just stop have... talking
0: in general, like on this podcast, because <laughs> no. I know I dominated this one. And, uh... No,
1: not at all. Actually, it was, it was great to hear you get so um, so passionate about our topics today. I had a real fun time this week. And so it's going to be released as a series. But I was talking with a group out of West Virginia. They're called Sales Hiring Straight Talk. And that's all they focus on is helping leaders in the sales category hire better. And so I had a great conversation with them. It was a lot of fun. And we talked mostly about writing great job ads and some of the nuances of using actually a great job ad to attract who you're looking for. So it was a fun conversation and they're going to release, they're going to release here in the next few weeks. And over time, if you're looking for some good interesting topics on sales hiring, check them out. They're on Apple and Google play and we'll,
0: we'll put the link on the show notes. So yeah, uh, they, they can find that podcast. Look at you. Cause in reality, you've been in HR, but you've been in sales your whole career, similar as to, to yeah. I Shelly, next week's topic, we have to find topics that we're going to argue about because <laughs> I <laughs> realize we're we haven't argued everybody. about anything. And I think that's why some people listen. So Okay. I, I know which one I can always choose that's going to cause, but we've talked enough about one wave video interviewing. So I'm mm-hmm. not going to bring that up, but your job for next week is to find topics that we're going to okay. argue about.
1: All right. Okay. That's a deal. Thank you so much, Serge. Have a wonderful day and we're going to talk soon. <laughs>